On today's episode of the Legacy Podcast, I sit on a Sister Cities International Conference panel and discuss the topic of social entrepreneurship. I hope you enjoy. Today's panel will be focused on uh, social entrepreneurship. We've got an outstanding group of panelists today and uh, we can start uh, here with Jeremy if you would like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, what you do. I am uh, Jeremy Priest. I'm the president and co-founder of Naughty Thai Company. Um, I know um, I actually see a couple people wearing ties in here today, and I know there might be some issues with attracting new members um, of a young age, and uh, it's certainly something that I struggle with in the necktie business as well, getting anyone interested in that, so hopefully I can uh, find some similarities and, and share some anecdotes. Um, about five years ago, after I had uh, finished six years of military service traveling to Africa, the Middle East, uh, and all over Europe, I was really uh, passionate about economic development and helping refugees succeed um, and overcome some of the traumatic experiences and the burdens um, and barriers that, that they faced. And when I came back to the United States, I studied economic development, uh, volunteered in college with uh, local refugees that had been resettled and found that um, they actually had an abundance of skills um, and faced barriers like uh, overcoming cultural differences or linguistic differences, um, and we're being placed here in Colorado, specifically in slaughterhouses or in janitorial jobs. Um, and so I really started to dive into some of the academic literature and uh, studied the data on refugee populations and who was the most disadvantaged and what um, their unemployment rates were and things like that, and really just started to think about how is it, um, we already have the government helping with resettlement and providing funds, we have nonprofit partners uh, resettling and finding their home and getting them first friends, but how do we create skills-based employment pathways for those refugees? So five years ago, I uh, was about $500, um, not out of a passion for neckties. Um, my <laughs> business partner and I um, watched YouTube videos, learned how to sew, uh, to build a custom clothing company that could employ refugees that had sewing skills. So the nonprofit that we were working with um, actually taught women refugees, specifically one of the most disadvantaged portions of the population, uh, basic sewing skills. Uh, five years later, um, we've had as many as 21 employees at a time, um, doing a few million dollars in sales, mostly around the United States, and really growing this business um, not just because of the quality of the product, but because of the nature of the story. Uh, consumers want to purchase products that are ethically made uh, and that have that um, component to them, whether it's Tom's and with the shoes or whether it's shirting or uh, experiences. So um, Nani Thai is really uh, a practical business to create employment opportunities for those disadvantaged populations, but it's really to create a model um, that can connect with the government and nonprofits and for-profit to show how we can solve problems through employment for disadvantaged populations, whether it's refugee or otherwise. Um, so my name is Craig Moxie. I'm the co-owner of a company called Immerse Bahamas. And what we do is event management and destination planning, but not in a traditional way. So when we host an event uh, or, manage a, or manage destination travel in the Bahamas, we try to give an authentic Bahamian experience. So in the Bahamas, we have about 6 million annual visitors who come to our country, and oftentimes they get a traditional experience of travel where it's leisure. You go there, you go to the hotel, you look at the beach, you say, oh, I was in the Bahamas, the beach is pretty, but you never experience any of the culture. So what we try to do is we focus on the boutique-style hotels, and we try to also incorporate Bahamian culture into our events. So 
In the past, we've hosted events such as trade missions using uh, bringing people from Big China for business trade missions to the Bahamas. And within this, we've incorporated elements of our, our culture such as jumping and various things that allow Bohemian vendors to come and be a part of these events and benefit. Because oftentimes, you bring people to your country, they come into the country, they stay at the big hotel, hotels, but the locals don't actually benefit from that. So what we try to do is incorporate locals as much as we can into everything we do. And I would say, I'm, I'm 22 now, and my passion for this really started in my junior year of college. So it's a company my mom started in 2014. And I, I just believe in life that you're only gonna be here for so long, so your focus should be on making the world a better place before you leave. So you should be looking to do stuff that actually help and benefit more people than just yourself. And I feel like this is something that can help a lot of people in our country. And instead of just helping a specific group of people who, who might be in a, in a higher niche, who own the big hotels, we try to help everyone in the community. And I also believe it helps the people who are traveling to the country too because you don't want to just go to a place and just get that one experience where you just stay at the hotel, like I said, and don't leave the property. You want to be able to engage with the people, experience their culture, and get a different perspective. Uh, like Carlo was sharing, when he went to different places within the world, he was able to get a better understanding by actually engaging himself and immersing himself in their culture. And this helps so much with us just being connected throughout the world. As people, I feel like we're better together than we are, than we are apart. So this is just my way of trying to bring us together, take the Bohemian culture to the world, and bring other people's culture to us and just help us connect in different ways. It's always fun being on a panel like this because there's so many people out there doing so many cool things that um, gives me hope. Uh, so my name is Alex Wise. Um, I run, I'm the executive director of a local nonprofit here where uh, we go by that acronym SEDS, Community Enterprise Development Services. Um, a quick bit about me and my background. Um, I spent about 15 years doing international development. I was in Indonesia after the tsunami. I worked in Afghanistan, South Sudan. Um, and my last job was in Somalia. And I, was, I built up an impact investment portfolio there, $6 million. And we are trying to there was a high unemployment rate, about 76%. And so we were trying to build the local economy through, um, build the local economy, reduce unemployment, and hopefully reduce uh, piracy and kind of bring other stability factors. That ended when I got married. And the, uh, the trips to Somalia and checking BBC <laughs> News to see if, how my hotel was doing um, quickly, quickly ended my international lifestyle. So I, I then kind of really had to think, how can I use all of these skills and abilities here locally? Um, and that's when I found SEDS. So we're a nonprofit. We do small business financing for refugees, immigrants, and other underserved uh, communities. We've placed about $3.5 million of capital into a local economy, and 90% of that has gone to refugees and foreign-born um, immigrants. So we've worked with something like 21 different uh, countries of origin. We work with um, Turkmen's, Ethiopians, um, Somalis, Eritreans, Ethiopians, got a whole range from all different kind of apps, you know, nooks and crannies of the corner uh, of the world. Um, we provide financing up to $50,000. Um, and through our investment, we've created 450 jobs, and the vast majority of those jobs are created by foreign-born populations. 
and they're they're created here locally. So whether that's for other foreign-born populations or American citizens, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a huge economic impact driven by um, driven by kind of our fellow countrymen, no matter where they come from. Um, and for me, the, the the social mission really is empowering local. Um, local diverse communities to be in the mainstream economy. So you can actually see and, and shop at and interact with or be a vendor for or a supplier for a whole range of, of businesses regardless of, of country of origin. I feel like the biggest part in getting anyone to tap into anything is tapping into emotions. Like one of the biggest marketing things we have out here now is emotions. So as far as if you're doing something, capture it. Capture the moment. Get, get in a digital format where you can show it to people and you can really engage them in a way where they see, oh, this is happening. You talk to them emotionally and, and they buy into the process. Can I ask you, as a follow-up, what specific platforms are affected? Is it Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? And y'all pay, pay attention because, you know, people, younger folks do not use Facebook as much as my, our parents do, right? So what are some of the most popular platforms to engage the specific people that you're trying to reach? Well, definitely, uh, as far as the long form content, like long videos, you want to reach them on YouTube because people would actually sit down and watch it, you'd be surprised. As far as uh, Instagram, you want to do short videos, capturing actual images of what's going on, and short videos, and they also have Instagram TV now, where you can post up to 10 minute long videos. Uh, and of course, everyone's on Facebook, like, like as far as uh, different generations, everyone's on Facebook, so you want to post your content there too. And uh, Twitter is also a good place to post videos, but there will be shorter videos, shorter snips that actually grab attention. But the traffic there is actually really great. And a next thing I know that's a really, a really vital tool is LinkedIn. And this will engage more of the business community. So people who are actually looking as professionals to engage in certain activities, they go on there and the, the, the contagiousness of LinkedIn, of LinkedIn content is really good because you have it where someone can see a post, they like it, and it pops up on someone else's timeline. It's, it's, it's really good for getting a lot of people to actually view what you're doing. How many of you all in your sister city's chapter uses um, social media? Okay, so about half. How many of you guys use social media? Do you use social media sometimes? For advertising, but not really actively as a brand. Okay, let me ask y'all, what's been the single most uh, effective post or your single most successful social media share. How many people saw it, and what what was it about that content that resonated with so many people? Uh, well, do you, do you mean personal or for the company? For the company. <laughs> 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 we'll get to personal. We have plenty of time for that. So for the company, um, okay, I said we're in response, so we focus on authentic behavior experiences. So I actually do videos called Hidden Gems, where I go to different places in the Bahamas and capture the perspective of local entrepreneurs and capture what they're doing and take it to a bigger scale so people can know about them and they raise their visibility. So one of the first videos I actually did was th with this involved this guy named GJ back home. And GJ is a guy who cooks this dish, in the, well he cooks a lot of seafood, but he specializes in this, in, in this, he specializes in this dish in the Bahamas called Kunk. I don't know if anyone's ever ate conk. I don't know. Yes. 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 Okay, good. So in the moms, we cook conk in so many ways, but GJ actually grills conk, and people love it. Like, they, they literally go crazy for it. But the thing is, a lot of people don't know about GJ. So I went there, filmed GJ's story, filmed GJ's story, and aside from just getting food, I asked GJ, how did you start? He started telling us his story about how, oh, 
it would be funny if you could see the video, but he tells us <laughs> the story about how his grandmother, she basically couldn't move around too much, but she loved to cook. So she used to just tell him, go in the kitchen, get this, cook that, cook this. And that's basically how you learn to cook. So he was telling us about this, and he was just so passionate. It was pretty funny, but it was also passionate. And people actually bought into his story. And when I actually posted the video and tagged him, it just started going viral. Like we got over 5,000 views on it wow. on, on Facebook, like easily. And the next day, he was calling me saying, man, thank you so much. So many people have been coming to my business. The traffic has really picked up. And that's why when I started off uh, talking about this, I brought up emotions. You have to tap into people's emotions. Because before anyone does anything, they have to be really interested in that and buy into that. Once we have understanding of their budget, it's kind of easy to organize stuff in and figure out what we need to do on our part to get it done. Now, as far as the bureaucracy with government, of course, that exists. And it's, very, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's a challenge with certain things. Like, if you want to bring certain ideas to the table, in most cases, you have a lot of people who just take it and do it themselves because they have the resources to do it. But what I realize is something that helps a lot is, looking, is, is working inside out and having people in your corner like sister cities and other outside organizations who can help you with, who can help you with uh, basically organizing stuff. Because what, what, I've, what I've realized is when people within the country see you doing something, you could be doing something great, but they would want to bring you down because, oh, I guess they look at you as you're one of them. But when they see someone from the outside really supporting it, it really helps to push things forward. Next question. Okay, yes ma'am. Okay, um, my question, I have one for you and I have one for you too. My question is what makes you who you are? Why is it that you can respect uh, the color of my skin? Uh, people from Africa, etc. Uh, immigrants who are coming in when I have seen so many images on TV and I'm born and raised in Norfolk, Virginia, I've lived through Jim Crow. And I've seen these image on, images on TV where Caucasians, European Americans are hating the color of my skin and my kinky hair. So what makes you who you are willing to help people of color so passionately? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, where I grew up, I, I wouldn't even say that racism is a problem. There actually is exclusively Caucasian people. And so we're insulated out from farm country, Ohio. Uh, and so we don't even understand what people are talking about sometimes, or we don't see it or feel it. But uh, fortunately, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, when I was 18, I joined the military. and. Uh, woke up, uh, worked with people from the Philippines, from Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Colombia, uh, Africa, people from of descent from all over the world as my shipmates, as my uh, you know partners in arms. But I also uh, was very fortunate in that I was stationed overseas for six straight years, uh, traveling around the Middle East and Africa. Uh, and had I never had that experience, I don't know uh, whether or not college alone would have tuned me into uh, the scale of, the, the plight of so many people around the world and insecurity and lack of economic opportunity 
um, and the issues that face us, that face people all, all around the world. Um, but it was really working side by side with, with people that I had never experienced that uh, truly illustrated to me the commonalities of humanity, um, the basis for human dignity, and that those things did not matter based upon what you believe or where you're from or what color your skin is. Uh, but now working with refugees, and part of after my military experience, I wanted to create a workspace that was international, even though I'm living in Denver. Uh, and one of our refugee staff, uh, Mark, from fled Congo, and lived in Rwanda for 19 years, was the president of his refugee camp, was teaching sewing training classes to women in the camp to make uniforms for the kids in the camp. Uh, and when he came, the resettlement agency asked us, do you want to hire him? Uh, we didn't even have a job open. I was like, bring this man to me. Um, I need a mentor. Uh, I don't want to hire him to sew. I need him to teach me about leadership and about uh, how he managed a refugee camp for 19 years, how he was able to organize those types of programs, how he has a smile on his face, um, how he's able to be an incredible father. So I think uh, through those experiences and through the work I'm doing, I have more and more appreciation every single day for the diversity of, of those in the world um, and uh, their ability to actually help me uh, become the person that I need to be to, to help lead others. <laughs> so I'm actually from Virginia Beach. Are you um, really? Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? When I was when I was in Norfolk many years ago, we could not go to Virginia Beach. Oh. I left Norfolk in 1968. We couldn't go to Norfolk Beach, Virginia Beach, nor Long Beach, but now we can. <laughs> Hopefully, we're we're our world is changing and we are going to a better place. That's, that's terrible. Um, I grew up in a, in a Navy family. I was born in Japan. We lived in the Philippines. My mom grew up, she's American, but grew up kind of um, bouncing around Europe. My, my grandfather did a lot of, of, of business across Europe. And so kind of growing up, it was um, kind of two factors. It was like just a lot of, very fortunate, but a lot of exposure to travel and other people and other communities. Um, and then on, on my dad's side, um, big Catholic family. My grandfather was the, the welfare commissioner of Philadelphia. And my, my dad, uh, my dad was a Navy SEAL. And uh, he told me, well, so what you got, you know, you, you did poorly, raise your grades. I raised my grades. And then he said, well, what have you done for other people? And that was kind of always the, the, the end point in our family. We have people who work for local governments and armed forces and nonprofits and um, my cousin is a bilingual immigration attorney, so we just had a lot of people, our whole family kind of was oriented around that, that service culture. Um, and it was just something that was kind of a part of who we are, and this is, I don't know. It's, and it's, it's so, I used to work for corporate, corporate America, and I quit, and I moved to Mongolia. My father was like, what have you done? <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I think what I've, what I've learned, maybe kind of what, with what Jeremy was saying, is that being abroad is so much more um, intellectually challenging and fun and hard and rewarding, and it's, uh, I would never change it. I think it's just such a, um, a cool experience to be able to work with so many different types of people. Okay, and my question to you is, uh, why do you love the Bahamas so much? 
Really, and, and what 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 are, what are your challenges as a uh, a black man? Mm. Okay, why do I love the Bahamas so much? Yeah, the Bahamas, and I'm not just saying this because I'm from here. It has to be one of the most beautiful places in the world. You can just look at it from the sky, see the water, it's crystal clear, it looks great. Jamaican, y'all, y'all, y'all. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> I, I, think we, I think we got this one. We love y'all too. And, um, the people, just so beautiful, the way they interact with each other, so nice and kind. And the food, the food is slamming. So, like, I actually went to, so I've been in the U.S. since I was uh, 15. I went to boarding school in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And, like, I would give it to Tennessee. They can cook, like, barbecue food, like, ribs and stuff like that. But, I was missing the food home so much, that and the weather, like, I missed it so much. Now, I went to college in Louisiana, and the food down there was, was, was pretty good, but our food, just the culture, the music, the peas and the water. sales, brother. But yes, I definitely love it. And uh, I would say, do you mean the challenges within the Bahamas or anywhere? Anywhere. Okay, the challenges, I'll, I'll, I'll start with the Bahamas, because okay. it's a little different there. So in the Bahamas, we have a majority black population, but they don't really run things that go on in the Bahamas. So we actually have a long history of this back in the day, like where we actually had a government that stood primarily for uh, minority uh, white like rule in the Bahamas, and that was the issue, the thing they were really pushing in the Bahamas. And today now, it's 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 a situation where they basically replaced the faces with black faces but they don't really have the interests of the people at heart. So that's a real challenge, trying to get people to understand that. And then when you live in a place that's, uh, like our primary uh, income is based on tourism, so we're always, we have a lot of people who are still stuck in the mindset of primarily service, instead of actually looking at how, you can not just like, like serve and, and be in a position where you never own, but actually, you can serve someone and actually own what you're doing, which is what we're trying to push with Immerse Bahamas, getting to actually, shine a light on these boutique style owners and stuff like that. So I would say as a black man in the Bahamas, the, the challenges are getting people to realize that we can all work together and make something happen, but also getting people to realize that I have your best interests at heart. And, and, and you may see a lot of people uh, doing other things and, and helping, uh, they make you seem like they're for you, but they're not for you. So that's, that's a big challenge in the Bahamas. And then in the world, of course, it's, it's a challenge like everywhere you go, like, it's, it's weird, like, like I said, in the Bahamas you have that, I guess our system, we have more systems in place where it's, I mean not a place you have systems, but in the Bahamas it's more concealed, where you're not gonna feel racism or anything like that in the Bahamas, but when I actually came to like, when I went to Chattanooga, that was the first time I actually experienced like, a lot of stuff like that, where it's kind of like blatant and out there, and it's, I mean, it's a different thing because that may actually be easier to deal with because you can actually see what's going on and you can actually see how I actually fix the problem because you can identify the problem. In the Bahamas, we have a lot of people who think life is perfect, we live in sunshine and everything is perfect, but it's honestly not. Thank you. Maxine, thank you for that question. I think the running theme that I heard in all three answers was compassion. And I think that is woven into the DNA of Sister Cities. I think we, if all the people in our communities thought like we did in finding the, celebrating the differences, but finding common ground, I think our world would be uh, in a much different place. So thank you for that question.
At this point in the discussion, we are asked by Carlos ways we think that incorrect misconceptions of other cultures can be broken down. One would be actually getting people who are from different communities to come in and actually interact with people so they realize, oh, they're not like how they're portrayed on the news or how I think they are from this different platform. But I think a big factor in all of this is education. Like within, within systems, a lot of the notions that we actually gain in our mind about other people, they're taught within like things such as school, which is kind of weird. Like I've, uh, like like coming from another country and actually like attending school in this country, like I've gained a lot of knowledge, but I've also gained a lot of perspective to see how certain thought patterns are actually passed through the educational system. And to me, I look at it and I'm like, wow, you're actually teaching that. But to other people, it's like, oh, this is the norm. Like they just expect it to happen. So I feel like there needs to be like a conscious effort. For, for, for teachers to actually have a mindset that's more global and more understanding of different groups inside their community and they're the ones who are touching the children every day and talking to them every day so they imprint these ideas on their mind. I, I wish there was a large scale solution for this short of like re-education of a lot of people or something but uh, it our viewpoint is let's meet them where they are, mm -hmm. let's provide them something within the course of their needs, uh, and then let's engage with them in a conversation about where a product is made, who makes it, what would make it ethical, what are the problems facing refugees, why we employ them in our local community, and why all of that is important. And so we sort of uh, backdoor it by leading with a strong product and then using uh, the brand narrative and engaging with them in conversation and dialogue. And I think it's a little bit more subtle uh, and they don't know, I think a lot of uh, people are naive, like myself in my younger years, to, to what problems even exist out there. And it's not that they don't care, it's that they don't know why they should care. They don't really know what the nature of the problem is. And so I think that's one of the um, most powerful lessons that the business community is learning, um, is that they actually can be that force for change and that voice of reason, where they were previously demonized, they now um, have a responsibility to um, create meaning for their staff um, in the work that they do and delivering value, but also um, standing up for the larger values of, of global 